0: You would settle your hand upon me tonight and anoint me fresh. I ask you, Lord, to come upon me. I need your help and speak this through me um, as living seeds of truth that are sown in the good, fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives. Lord, that by the awesome presence and power of your Holy Spirit, the anointing, Lord, that you would help everyone just captivate us, anoint our minds, and help our minds to get locked in to where we're not distracted. Anoint our eyes and ears, give us eyes and ears of the Spirit, touch our hearts. And help us, Lord, to be focused to give you our best, dear, our full attention and really get everything out of this that we need to. Lord, that you would cause us to see and understand things that maybe normally we wouldn't, but it's by the Spirit. And, Lord, that these, these living seeds that are going into good, fertile soil of lives and families and ministries will be watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains. Lord, let your truth go out as light. Dispel all the darkness, all the lies, all the deception of the enemy. And, Lord, bring truth and revelation in life. And, Lord, allow the washing of the water of the word to go forth. Lord, we agree together we bind anything in the enemy that would try to hinder the word from going out and accomplishing that which the Lord sent, sent it forth to do because Jesus taught that birds of the air, which represent the demonic, try to steal the seed. But we bind that in, in Jesus' name. They're not going to hinder this. Lord, let the winds of your spirit carry this where it's supposed to go. And Lord, let your blessing come upon your word, and that it will be fruitful for your kingdom. May everything be accomplished, and through this time that you will be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, well, I'm going to continue in this series. Last week I didn't get to preach, and you, everybody knows that was a miracle. That was, had to be a sovereign move of God. <laughs> it, it was a powerful move. But anyway, we, I didn't get to cover this because I knew that it would be too much information to try to get into a short time because that particular night we were getting people out on the streets for a little bit extra witnessing in what we normally do. So this week, I have a little bit more time, but here's what I'm going to try to cover. If you guys can really give me your ear tonight, I believe that this sermon would help you. Even if you're familiar with the, um, the content, I believe there will be some things in here that either you haven't seen or maybe you haven't seen it this way before. But I'm going to deal in this sermon with us becoming one with the Lord. And I'm going to deal with a unity, like a oneness in the church, becoming one. Unity among the brethren is what I mean by that. And then I'm also going to deal with like intimacy with God, like soaking in his presence. That has radically transformed my life since the 90s, is soaking in God's presence. And so in this, I entitled this The Corporate Body. And the first thing I want to say is is that the table of showbread, in the actual Hebrew, it is called... Interesting, it's called the bread of presence, is the way it's translated in English. And that's probably the best translation. But in the Hebrew, it's lechem, which is bread. But the word there is panim, and it comes from the word panav. And panav is face. And so the table of showbread, which is the communion table, the bread was called the bread of faces. Isn't that interesting? somehow there is meant to be a face to face encounter with the Lord if somehow this, the Holy Spirit can just take this and, and reveal this to people this is really life changing what I'm saying there's something about a face to face encounter an in intimacy just like The mystery of Christ and the bride. The two becoming one. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.31 For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Everybody say one flesh. The two become one. And in verse 32, this is Ephesians 5, verse 32, Paul says this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. I'm talking about Christ and his bride. The two becoming one. So in a marriage relationship, the two become one. There's an intimacy. They're no longer two independent People, But yet now they have become one There's something about the communion table If you can catch this it, it will really change your life where what represents jesus's body and his blood Is going into your body and blood And it's like to his body and your body becoming one the two become one there's something that happens there's an intimacy with god and it is a very powerful thing and just like if you think about it the bible gives us this principle off the top of my head i think it's second corinthians 7 i could be wrong but it talks about how like a believing let's say that there was a believing christian husband that got saved but his wife has not accepted christ yet so she's still lost that somehow he has a sanctifying effect on her now i'm not saying she's going to heaven she's got to accept the lord for that to happen but i'm saying that somehow the bible says that he sanctifies her and what i'm trying to say is is that Jesus is the one that's perfect and holy. But somehow, through the communion table, the two become one, and he is causing a sanctifying effect in his bride. A deep consecration is happening. And also in regards to, to the communion table and about the face of God, there's a blessing that's spoken called the Aaronic Blessing, or or in Hebrew they call it the Birkat Konim. And we all know it. The Lord bless and keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious in you. But that second line there in Hebrew is Yair Panoff. It talks about the Panav, Yair Adonai Panoff, Eleka, the Panoff. So it's saying for the face of God to shine upon you. And so, you have this bread of faces. You have this where the two are becoming one. There's some kind of an intimacy there between the Lord and his bride. And there's this shining, now there's this shining face of God. I believe that the bread of faces, the bread of presence, also causes that the Lord's face to shine upon you. That's why there's something about us taking communion together And then uh, an authority figure speaking a blessing over you. There's something scripturally that is connected, those two together. I could give you an example in the tabernacle. In the very place where the animals were sacrificed in the outer court, you had the, the body and blood of the animals there. It represents the altar, the cross. That was the same place that the priest would speak a blessing over the people so you had symbolically speaking like the altar where that the sacrifice took place you had the altar but then you had the blessing spoken together and you also had that throughout scripture like i mentioned in a previous sermon where abraham met with melchizedek and melchizedek took communion with abram and then blessed him so you can see throughout scriptures you see that there's a connection between the communion table and a speaking of a blessing. But the blessing, one of the main blessings that we know in Scripture, one of the phrases in that blessing is the Lord's face shining upon you. So see, a lot of people have this conception about ministry. I'm going to go into the ministry and do the work of the Lord. And yes, there, that is true. But I would want you to notice this. When Jesus picked his disciples in Mark three fourteen, it says this. He said he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. But I want you to take notice of this. He appointed 12 of them that they might be with him. Let's not read over that too quick because that's the point. It's like the whole Mary and Martha revelation. Martha was so busy doing stuff, but Mary was sitting at the feet of the Lord and just wanted to be in his presence face to face. She wanted to see him. She wanted to hear his voice. She wanted to know him. But Martha was doing other stuff. And the Marthas a lot of times get irritated with the Marys. But Jesus said that Mary chose the greater. And people think, well, I'll just go do the ministry, but what you gotta understand is is that if you'll be intimate with the Lord, the ministry a lot of times will be take care of itself, it'll be easier, God will cause it to be fruitful like you could never imagine. But it comes out of an intimacy with God. And it's in that intimate place of soaking in his presence and hearing his voice and being with him that everything else will be fruitful and what did the apostle paul say in philippians 3 verse 10 a famous scripture we all probably know some have memorized others have definitely heard this i'm sure but he said that i might know him the power of his resurrection the fellowship of his sufferings becoming like him in his death and somehow attain the resurrection of the dead we know that but the very first thing paul said was that i might know him and you have to understand the Greek, the word in, in the Greek about know is intimacy. It's not just an acquaintance. Excuse me, you can know somebody that you, you work with or whatever, and you just happen to to know them as an acquaintance, but this is not the same thing. The word know has to do with an intimate relationship. And there's a difference. Just be careful that you don't get sucked into the trap of focusing on ministry, ministry education, political posturing, all the different things that I see out there when God is really looking for you to be with Him, to spend time with Him, to get to know Him. And out of that relationship will come the ministry. I've known people, I've personally known people, had had a lot of degrees they had a lot of plaques on their wall but they didn't have an anointing and they were impressive in that respect but they weren't powerful and in the end their their ministry was not very effective or fruitful at all as far as the kingdom is concerned and i've also known people that did not have hardly any education or any of that i'm not saying that it's wrong either way i'm just saying that they didn't but they knew the lord and they walked in his power And man, their ministry was powerful. So, I believe that there's a call that the Holy Spirit is is calling out to River of Life to begin to be more intimate with the Lord and begin to soak in His presence like you never have before. There's something about soaking in God's presence Where there's a deep rich intimacy with god And I believe that the communion table Has a lot to do With being able to get into that place See what you have to understand when jesus died on the cross that veil was ripped in the temple remember that But We all know That even though that's the case All of us still have this flesh until one day we die and we shed this flesh and we're given the Bible says on the resurrection day we'll be given a glorified body but until that time that you die you have this flesh that you live in and all of us know that to get into God's presence we got to get past our flesh because when you get up in the morning your flesh is saying go back to sleep your flesh is saying I don't want to pray your flesh says, I don't want to read the word. And that flesh is always going to be at war with the intimacy with God. And so what I'm trying to get at is this. Jesus ripped the veil at Calvary, but there's still within all of us a veil of flesh that we've got to pierce through. And the communion table, somehow, that what represents Jesus' body and blood goes into our body and blood, and somehow that flesh is, begins to be ripped open so to speak symbolically and we can go beyond the flesh into the presence the bread of presence that's why i'm I'm probably i don't know of anybody else i'm sure there's other people i just don't know about it that take communion like we do frequently and at the beginning of services but this is why i want people to be able to get consecrated and and to be able to take that time to get washed and covered in the blood and and to get the, the power of communion in their life because I know it's going to help them to get into the presence of God in a powerful way. And scripturally speaking, that is the pattern. When you went into the tabernacle and you went into the holy place, the first thing you did was stop at the table of showbread. Then from there, I'm talking about in the holy place. That was the first stop. All right, so let me move on. But I want to show you something about the power of the blood. In Leviticus sixteen fourteen, here's the story of Israel going up Mount Sinai. Just follow me with this, but let's start with Leviticus 16, 14. The Bible says the priest, he has to take some of the bull's blood with his finger and sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. Then he will sprinkle it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. Now, I want you to look at that picture. I don't know how well you can see the Ark of the Covenant. You see the two angels facing each other, and you see that there's a light in the middle. But between the angels, there's this gold seat there called the mercy seat. And this represents God's throne, because the God's throne, the Ark of the Covenant, God would sit there, and there would be angels around him worshiping him, okay? So we that that light is that represents God. But underneath that light is called the mercy seat. And when the priest, once a year, would go into the Holy of Holies, he would have to take blood with him. He had to be washed, symbolically speaking, by the blood so that he could go in. Okay, But as he would go in, he would have blood with him, and he would take his finger and dip it in the blood, and he would sprinkle the blood like this on that mercy seat. And when that blood landed on that mercy seat, that's when the glory of God would come in that place and settle on that blood and light that place up because there was no light in there. You would not be able to see very good. I'm sure when he first went in, he had to wait a moment for his eyes to adjust a little because it was dark in there. But whenever he sprinkled that blood on the mercy seat, when the blood came, then the glory would come down on that blood and light that place up and can you imagine that priest standing there in the in the glory like that he saw the glory of god face to face but it was the blood that brought him in there and it was the blood that brought the glory The second scripture, Hebrews ten nineteen says, therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. So now let me show you the scripture. Some of y'all may have never read this. I think this is a really amazing story, okay? Exodus 24, starting with verse 3, Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances and all the people answered with one voice saying, all the words that you've spoken, we will do. So let me just rabbit trail real quick. Over at Mount Sinai, the glory of God came like a smoke, like a thick darkness. The place shook. There was like lightning. You could hear the sound of a shofar. God had settled down on the top of Mount Sinai, and there was this thick cloud, and the people were scared. But that was like the chopah, so to speak. At Jewish weddings, there's a covering over the bride and groom. That was a covering above. And God had come down, and then you have the people of Israel. And Moses was the mediator between the two. And God gave his law, his Torah, and said, If they will accept this, then I will make them my people. And so Moses, he's writing all this down. He stands up. He recounts the words to the people. The people respond to God and say, It is good. We will do what he says. And so God accepted the nation of Israel to be like his spiritual wife, if you will. And God married himself to Israel at Sinai. And Moses was kind of the mediator there. Underneath the Hopa of his presence. And those that know about these things, the Torah was like the ketubah. It was the legal contract. And so while this scene is going on, God has come. His presence was up there, but God was hidden inside of a dark cloud, and the people of Israel could just see that cloud. they felt the earthquake, they heard the shofar sounds. they heard they saw the lightning flash. They were scared. Now watch this. Moses wrote down the words, and he arose verse 4, then he arose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain with 12 pillars to represent the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent the young men of the sons of Israel, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Moses took half the blood. Now you gotta understand this would have been a lot of blood. He built a big altar now. So behind Moses is the mountain, and God's on top of that mountain. In front of Moses is the nation of Israel, and Moses builds this big altar with twelve different pillars. And he sends out the young men. I want you to go get animals, go get bulls and things because we need to sacrifice to the Lord. They go out. They get the animals. They bring them back. They're helping Moses slit the throat, drain the blood. They're sacrificing the animals. So there's a lot of blood. And Moses took half the blood, verse 6, and put it in basins. So he had like these bowls or these jars full of blood. And the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. So there's blood going all around the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and he read it to the people. And all that the Lord had spoken we will do and we will be obedient. So Moses took the blood. I want you to notice this. He took the blood and he sprinkled it on the people. And he said, behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with with all these words and then Moses went up with Aaron Nadab and Abihu which was Aaron's sons and the 70 elders of Israel so it was around 75 people that go up this mountain they just got blood sprinkled on them they look down at their garments they see little spots of blood on them and now 75 men begin to go up this mountain and climb this mountain and they're looking up and they see that dark cloud and it looks like a rumbling up there and i'm sure that they to some degree were scared and i'm sure that all them looked at moses like "You, you go first you know and moses is going and they're behind moses watching and they're climbing up toward god's presence And Moses went up, the 70 of Israel, 75. Look at this, verse 10. And they saw the God of Israel. Anybody ever read that before? They saw the God of Israel. And under his feet, there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire, as clear as the sky itself. So picture, they probably saw a pre-incarnate Christ. They saw Christ before he became flesh. But probably that's what they saw. And they probably saw him on some kind of a throne. But underneath him was like this blue glass sapphire. They saw God. But verse 11 says, yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel. And they saw God and they ate and drank. So why did God not kill them? I believe because they had been sprinkled with blood. Just like the high priest once a year would go into the Holy of Holies and he was already, he sacrificed for himself so he was symbolically washed and covered in the blood. But he went in there and sprinkled that blood. Same picture that there's sprinkled blood He sprinkled the blood on that ark and the glory came and he was face to face with the glory. The children of Israel were sprinkled with blood. They go up the mountain. They saw God and they ate and drank in his presence. Now, I personally believe that the reference here to they ate and drank is a reference to the communion table. But it's also a reference to the feast i believe that god when this happened you gotta understand god created man for fellowship and because adam and eve sinned the fellowship was broken and god has longed for fellowship with mankind and i believe whenever they did it properly they approached god the proper way and they could come into his presence like that i believe it really touched god's heart to be able to sit there while they ate and drank and he was there with them. And I believe probably, this is just my opinion, probably in that moment, it moved in God's heart to create the feast days. And it moved in his heart because he knew the future to institute Holy Communion one day. Because he wanted us to be able to come into his presence like that. And so... Whenever the priest had to go into the Holy of Holies. Here's what a lot of people believe. Back in the Old Testament time there was that veil that was there. There was possibly a way that he could have gone over to the side of the veil. And pulled it back and went through. There was also a way that maybe he could have laid down. And crawled under the veil. But in the temple time the veil that ripped. Josephus describes that veil, and that veil was so thick that it would have been hard for that to happen, honestly. And so a lot of scholars believe this, and I tend to believe this myself, although, you know, we can only speculate. But they believe that the priest on the, on the Day of Atonement, when he was supposed to go into the Holy of Holies, that he had already done what he's supposed to do. He washed his hands and feet at the labor. He had to immerse himself, water baptism. He had to shed blood and he would go in and he would burn incense. And here he is with this incense, this censer, this incense is burning. And he's got this bowl of blood and they believe that he pressed up against that veil and he was worshiping and praying and that God supernaturally transported him through the veil. And he was in the Holy of Holies. And then he would take care of his business in there and he would apply the blood and he would pray. So, I don't know for sure that that's how it happened, but it could have happened. I tend to believe it probably did. So, here's here's what we have today. Because of the communion table, the blood washes and covers us fresh. You don't have to apply the blood through communion, okay? You can apply the blood by faith. I know that. But I believe that the communion table is a powerful way to apply the blood to our lives. But it's through that blood that we get beyond the veil. So as we take communion, for example, we're consecrated. We, we take a moment to examine ourselves. As we take communion, we're washed and covered in the blood. And now we begin to worship and pray that's that incense. And it's like being supernaturally transported into the presence of God. You know, there was one of the things that was in the ark was a jar of manna. And Jesus said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And in that same context, he was talking about eat my flesh, drink my blood. He was talking about communion. But it's interesting that there was a jar of manna in the ark. I believe it's a reference. I really do a reference to the bread of presence. That symbolically, we would be able to come into the deep places of the Holy of Holies because of the communion table i believe that it plays into it i don't believe you have to take communion to go into the holy of holies i don't but i do believe that it helps get you there so the blood brings the glory all right let me skip down now to corporate power of communion In 1 Corinthians 5, 7, it says, Clean out the old leaven, the old yeast, so that you may be a new lump, just as you in fact are unleavened. For Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. There is something about, that's why, this really hasn't happened very often, but there has been once or twice over the years that I've seen that, you know, somebody would come late all the time and and come to church and miss communion, miss the communion table. And when it keeps happening over and over, it's kind of a a red flag a little bit with me because I'm thinking, why aren't they here to take communion with us, you know? But the communion table, here's what I'm going to say about the communion table. The Bible says, clean out the old leaven, purge out the yeast. I want you to think about something. When Jesus had his 12, and they had met together, and I'm sure there was others that were there, okay, but they were at their Passover Seder meal it was the, what we call the Last Supper. And Jesus was there. It was Passover. It wasn't just any meal. This was the Passover meal. And it was in the Passover meal that Judas was exposed. Is everybody catching where I'm going with this? The Passover meal and the communion table to me are really almost one and the same. Basically, we, we keep Passover once a year, but throughout the whole entire year, we're able to take communion throughout that year, and it's just like continuing the Passover meal all the way around till the next year. But I want you to think about something. Of all the times that Judas could have been exposed, of all the times, the Bible says Satan entered Judas, and Jesus exposed the Judas, and Judas left, That happened in the Passover meal. I really believe that one of the things that's so powerful about the communion table and Passover. Is that as we keep the Passover and as we keep the the communion table. That it's helping to purge out. It will cause the Judases to be exposed. And it will help to purge them out of the midst. And then 1 Corinthians ten fourteen says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak to you as wise men. You judge what I say. is not the cup of blessing, which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ. I want you to notice something here. Remember, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he held up that cup, the third cup, and he blessed it in Hebrew because that's the way the Passover is always done and been done long before Jesus came and has been done since he But he blessed that cup. It's the cup of blessing. Did you know when you partake of the communion table that you are drinking a blessing upon yourself? Everybody catch what I'm saying? It's very powerful. You are drinking a blessing upon yourself. Just like if somebody was to go... Now, let's flip, do the flip side of the coin. Let's say that somebody went to India and they went to some Hindu temple and there was something going on there in the way of sacrificing to a demon god and, and they went there and they participated in that altar and somehow they drank from that altar. They would drink a curse upon themselves. Does that make sense? So what I'm trying to get at is this, that you're doing the opposite. You're drinking a blessing on yourself because you're sharing in the altar of Christ and what he did at Calvary. Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Verse 17 Since there is one bread, we who are one or we who are many are one body. I believe that there's some kind of a supernatural unity. If other pastors would would also begin to do this more in their church. I believe it would really bring a lot of change. I believe that when people corporately, and y'all please catch this, when people corporately take communion together like we do, that God will expose the things that need to be exposed. And he'll purge out the things that need to be purged. But here's what happens. All of us are becoming one with the Lord his body and blood and our body and blood. The two becoming one. But at the same time. Somehow there's a unity. That's going on in the spirit. There's some kind of a supernatural unity. That brings the body together. And it's going to hinder. How Satan wants to divide. The Judaism people will be purged. But I mean. It, it just brings together. In the spirit realm. I'm talking about. Not not intellectually agreeing, but it's greater than that. There's something in the Spirit. And I, I believe that this Scripture is trying to insinuate that when it says, since there's one bread, even though we are many different people in a room, we're one body. You see what I'm saying? So picture for a moment that my wife usually gets this together. She takes a piece of matzah bread, one bread, breaks it up into many pieces, and puts it over there, and people were all partaking of that. It all came from one bread, one sheet of matzah. And it's like as we partake of that same bread together, it's like becoming one in the Lord. There's a supernatural unity. Now let me keep reading here. For we all partake of one bread. Look at the nation of Israel. Are Not those who eat the sacrifices, sharers in the altar. What do I mean then that a thing sacrificed to idols is anything or that idols anything? No. But I say that the things with the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God, and I don't want you to become a sharer in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons, you cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we want to provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? So this purges out the yeast. There's a supernatural unity. You drink a blessing upon yourself. Generational blessings form. Isn't this awesome tonight? How I many of you guys want to be able to go deep into God's holy of holies in his presence? I'm telling you the communion table helps with that. And will help keep the people out that need to not be around. But it will bring a unity in the spirit. The glory in your home People say, well, I want, I want God's presence in my home. One of the greatest ways you can get the glory in your home is through the communion table. Once my wife and I, years ago, God began to deal with me about this. We began to take communion in our home. I began to teach my wife and daughter about the power of communion. And I began to go through our home and anoint the home over like the doorpost and speak blessings And we began to really consecrate our home. And we began to pray together. And as we did that, the presence of God began to come in. And over time, the presence of God kept increasing. And you keep doing that. You keep taking communion. You keep blessing your home. You keep praying in there. As you keep doing that over time, the glory will increase in your home. And God had to first do in our home what he wanted to do in the church. And we would have this glory in our home. And I knew about it. We knew about it. But it wasn't really as strong in the church. But over time, it started getting that way. All right. The next thing is the revelation. All right. uh, Luke 24, verse 30. Now, picture this. Jesus had risen from the dead. And he's appearing to people. He appeared to about 500 people, if I remember right. And remember the rock split people raised from the dead hey look uncle charlie's back from the dead you know jesus died on the cross and people raised him from the dead the temple veil ripped i mean it wasn't like some silent thing i mean when jesus died it there was there was people there there were roman soldiers that, that were probably like man this guy was you know either he was god or he was a major prophet or something because look at what just happened you know but Jesus goes and he starts to appear to his disciples and he appears to some of his disciples on the road to Emmaus. And he's walking with them, but it was hidden from them who he was. They didn't know he was Jesus. But as Jesus was walking with them, he's like, why are you guys sad? And they say, well, did you just get here? You know, I mean, the the son of God just died. And I mean, we're, we're upset. And Jesus, you know, is just walking along with them and he starts telling them all about the going back to um, the Torah in Genesis, starts going through it explaining about the son of god and how how all these things tie together he's he's given him the word and they made the reference man it's like our hearts are burning within us you know as he spoke to us on the road but listen to this this is luke 24 30 when jesus had reclined at the table with them now please take notice that they're at the table together He took bread and he blessed it. And this would have been matzah bread because, trust me, they had to go through their homes and get all the yeast out. There wasn't any yeast bread right now. It's all gone. So this was matzah bread. It was unleavened bread. And he took the bread and he blessed it. And breaking it, he gave it to them. So when they get that bread at the communion table, even though they may not realize that it is at the time, when they get that bread... It says that their eyes were open and they recognized him and then he vanished from their sight. And this is where they said, man, when we were walking and talking with him, our hearts burned within us. Here's what I'm trying to get at. At the, bread of, at the table of the bread of presence, the bread of faces, face to face, the communion table, somehow the veil is ripped And there is an intimacy with Jesus, and there's a revelation of him. They saw him. There is something about the communion table that opens people up to divine revelation, to see things you didn't see before. Somehow, when what represents his body and blood gets into your body and blood, and there's that consecration, somehow something supernatural is happening to you. You're getting beyond the natural realm. And it's easier to get into the realm of the spirit where there's revelation. How many of you guys want to see Jesus in a way you've never seen him before? Want to see things about the Lord you've never known before? There's special times of prayer and fasting and giving and consecration. Like I mentioned before, God instituted these feast days. I do not believe Christians have to keep these feast days at all. It's totally optional. But I do believe that there is there is like a, a special open heaven and a special blessing during these times, okay? And as we're going into this Passover season, and we're going to be praying and we're going to be fasting together and we're going to, to give like a special offering to the Lord at this time, and we're really going to be consecrating our lives unto Him. This is a very, very powerful time. And I want to read this to you in Isaiah 4.4. 4, when the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the bloodshed of Jerusalem from her midst by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of burning, then the Lord will create over all the whole area of Mount Zion over her assemblies, a cloud by day, even smoke, and the brightness of a flaming fire by night, For over all the glory will be a canopy. There will be shelter to give shade from the heat of the day. And a refuge and protection from the storm and the rain. I believe as we have these times like we're coming into. We do this twice a year. We do this before these spring feast times and before the fall. And as a church we pray and we we fast together. And, and we, we give a special offering to the Lord, but we also really consecrate our lives. I'll pray over people. We'll anoint people with oil. We have a special time of baptism for anybody that wants to. It's totally voluntary, but people that have maybe never been baptized are those that just simply want to really consecrate themselves unto God. And most people do every time we do this. And as we really consecrate ourselves unto God, I want you to notice here. He says, once I've washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion, then he said, I will create a glory dome over them to protect them. These deep times of consecration, and the communion table plays into it, but these deep times of consecration help that the glory comes in, and the glory is a spiritual thing that you cannot see with your natural eyes, but you can feel it. But the glory... You guys know what the snow globes are? The cheesy gifts that you get when people go and bring you back something from vacation. The snow globes that you can picture just like a dome of the glory. So like in your home, there can be a literal dome of the glory that goes over your property. You may not see it, but the angels and the demons see it. You know, the demonic realm, they're floating around out there and they look down and go, man... It's going to be hard to get into that home because there's a glory dome. There's a fire about that thing. And that's what I'm saying, that there's a there can be like a spiritual cloud, a spiritual fire that can envelop a place. And in that glory, it is a shelter. And remember how Obed-Edom, the ark was brought into Obed-Edom's home, and he was what a Hittite, I believe. He wasn't even Jewish. But at that time, he was a God-fearing Gentile, and David allowed him to have the ark in his home. The glory of God moves in to Obed-Edom's home, and the Bible says that his whole household began to prosper. Where the glory is, prosperity will break out. Where the glory is, there can be more healing and health, physical health. Where the glory is, there's an added level of protection from the enemy. And I believe that God, that's one of the reasons why I, I have led the church into doing these seasons of prayer and fasting and consecrating ourselves. Because it's increasing the glory in the church, but I'm believing God it's increasing the glory in your lives individually. And as that glory is increasing in our midst, there's an added level of protection protection an added level of health, and an added level of prosperity in the end times that we're living in. These times like this, a lot of ground is taken in the Spirit. We're able to go deeper in Christ corporately, and there's significant answers to prayer. Did everybody catch that? This is powerful. Or right, the last two things is this, soaking prayers. Now, this right here, if people say, well, Pastor Scott, what, what really... What made you even think about the fact of the that you at night can sleep in the glory? Two things. One is this scripture, and the other one was the Welsh Revival. God did that in the life of Evan Roberts. He began to have visitations at night in the glory. But I want you to hear this because this scripture changed my life. In First Samuel 3.3, 3, the lamp of God... And I, but this is in the tabernacle this is the menorah the lamp stand that's in the tabernacle okay the lamp of god had not gone out and Samuel was lying down in the house of the lord where the ark is now we all know where the ark is that's in the holy of holies i've heard some goofy people say we well, had to be thirty because of all the ministry of the priest and i understand you had to be 30 to minister but every protocol was broke right here so don't give me this he had to be 30 garbage he was a little kid and he's not even supposed to be in there ever i mean he's you know he's not even of the line of aaron he's he's an eph you know from ephraim anyway i'm not going to get off on that but the point is eli i believe heard from god that i really believe this eli heard from god that little samuel was going to be special and Eli, I believe Eli in many ways was a man of God and really loved God. He, but he made one big mistake. He wouldn't get his house in order. And it cost him. Okay? It cost him big time. But I believe that Eli was sincere. And I believe he really loved God. And Eli, I believe, heard from God. And so he took Samuel, probably as a little boy. I can just picture Eli getting down on one knee. And he's talking to little Samuel. And he says, Listen. The God of Israel is in that room. His presence is there. And I want you to get to know him and become familiar with his presence and his voice. So I want you to go in there and sleep at night. You'll be okay. I feel like God's told me to do this. I want you to go in there. I want you to lay down by that ark, and that's where you're going to sleep. I'll make you a little mat. You know, I'll give you a little blanket. You go in there, and so Samuel would go in there as a little boy, and he would sleep there. He was sleeping in the glory. He was sleeping in the glory, the manifest presence of God. Does this not stir something up in other people? Because this really gets to me. You can live in the glory realm. You can sleep in the glory realm. And while he was sleeping in there, we know the story, God spoke to Samuel. And Samuel didn't recognize his voice and thought it was Eli. So he gets up and he leaves, you know, and goes to Eli, what did you say? And Eli's like, I didn't say anything. It's probably the wind blowing. Just go back and sleep. And so he goes back. This happens a couple times. And the Eli picks up on it and says, Samuel, listen, it, I believe that you're sleeping by the ark there. And the God of Israel is talking to you. And you need to ask him, speak, Lord, You know your servant's listening. And Samuel, as a little boy, sleeping by the ark of God in the glory, he had been soaking in God's presence for who knows how long. This could have been going on for years. But he was soaking in God's presence night after night after night. Six to eight hours in God's presence in there. And when it came time for God to speak to him, he was sensitive to the the Spirit of God. He was sensitive to the voice of God. And he heard that voice and he recognized that there was um, something being said to him. He understood what was being said. And listen to this, even as a little boy soaking in God's presence, this is where Samuel got his first prophecy. And it wasn't just some random prophecy like it's going to rain tomorrow. This was a prophecy that was going to shift the entire nation of Israel. It was a prophecy that Eli's priesthood was over. And God was removing him because he wouldn't put his house in order. And God was going to now... The, the only priest, le, priestly line that was going to remain was that of um, Eliezer, the line of Zadok, which ended up at John the Baptist. But this line here with Eli, his, his uh, ancestor was what Ith, Ithamar, I believe. But anyway, that line now was going to die with Eli. God was done with that priestly line, and it was going to continue on with the line of Eliezer. Now, this was a prophecy... That had to do with the entire nation. Eli was the man of God of this time. What God was doing in Israel primarily was going on through Eli. And God basically told that little boy, I'm done with Eli. And I'm going to raise you up basically is what God was saying. And Samuel became a mighty man of God. But it came out of soaking in God's presence that he became familiar with the voice of God. And Samuel was a very accurate prophet. I believe it came out of the soaking and the intimacy with God. So the last thing I want to say, so let let me backtrack. Listen, that's why I'm pushing this thing about soaking. You know, y'all have heard me say many times, if you get prayer tonight, God touches you. Don't be quick about getting up soaking God's presence. I'm saying that for a reason. And when you pray at home, Don't be quick to go through your list. You know, you got your list. You're like, Lord, all right, here we go. And I need this, this, and this. And if you would do this, this, and this, it'd be great. And do this for my family and do that. And then you get up and leave. That's what a lot of people do. And well, instead of doing that, I mean, you can pray about your needs, but, but come into God's presence. If you want to take communion, that's a powerful thing. You can sit back and worship the Lord and begin to pray and soak in his presence and in that place of intimacy talk to him about things but it's in the glory it's in his presence and there may be hindering spirits that are trying to hinder the presence of god don't focus on that but take authority i bind that stuff command it to go but lord i'm asking you let's be intimate here together i want to hear your voice i want to know you and it's in that place that god has done so much in my life is that soaking and the same thing at the night time. My wife and I pray together. And I share this only because I want to stir up people's faith and their hunger to have this in their life. That's the only reason I share it. But my wife and I pray together. And we, we after we pray, she blesses me. I bless her and all that we do together. And we pray. I'm telling you, the glory of God starts coming in. It's gentle. But, man, as, as time goes on, she she's a lightweight when it comes to staying up at night. She's... i'm more of a night owl i mean she's out after we pray just she's gone but i'm up for you know another hour or so watching tv or something and as i'm sitting there the glory of god just keeps getting thicker and thicker and thicker and it feels just like i'm telling you and this is not an exaggeration because i i feel like exaggerating is lying i'm not going to do that okay but i'm telling you tonight when we were praying that's the level of the glory that has been coming in for some time You can have that in your home, and you can have that in your prayer life, and you can have that when you sleep at night, just soak in that glory. It's important. And I believe that the communion has a lot to do with it because I'll take the Lord's Supper in our home daily, and we take it together as a family frequently, uh, at least once a week, at least. We do it once a week together. So here's the last thing. 1 Corinthians 317, if any man, now let me just give you a warning because once you consecrate yourself unto God, there's no going back. You better not play around because let me tell you something. God is a jealous God. He's a holy God. And don't listen to me, guys. Don't play with the holy things of God. It's dangerous for real. The Bible says, okay, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Once you start really taking communion and you start really consecrating your temple unto God and you want to join with us in these times of prayer and fasting to really consecrate yourself. You come to church, pastor anoints you with oil and prays over you and the Holy Spirit begins to really fill and saturate you and you want to go, you say, pastor, I I want to go, you know, get baptized. I want to really just consecrate myself fresh into God and we during the baptism services you get baptized and you're really separating yourself as holy. Once you do stuff like that and then you want to go back and use your body for sin, for sexual immorality, for other things, man, it's very, very dangerous to play like that. Here's what happens. 1 Corinthians three seventeen. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. But some people get They get diseases, they get very sick, and they end up dying before their time because they defile their temple. Okay? You better be very careful. Don't play with the holy things of God. That's what Eli did. Eli allowed the temple to be a very, the tabernacle to be holy, but his sons were defiling the tabernacle. They were having sex with women at the tabernacle. They were doing other abominations at the tabernacle, and Eli knew about it, and Eli would say something to him, but he wouldn't deal with them. It's one thing to gripe at somebody. It's another thing to put it in order. It's a different thing. Eli should have come in there and and did something, like ripped them out of the priesthood and said, you guys are out. And, I mean, put that thing in order, cleaned house, commanded that that this is going to be right with God, and dealt with it correctly and his line would have been on you know but God had to remove him because he wouldn't deal with it all right in second 2 Timothy 220 now in a large house there are not there are not only gold and silver vessels but also vessels of wood and earthenware and some to honor and some to dishonor therefore if anyone cleanses himself from these things he will be a vessel of honor sanctified useful to the master prepared for every good work Now flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the name of the Lord with a pure heart. So, you know, my wife and I, when we have company, she has some really nice silverware and uh, plates and things she'll break out on special occasions. But, you know, when when we're at home, you know just eating pizza or something we break out the little plastic plates and we don't care about the plastic plates i mean if one of them gets broke or destroyed we could care couldn't care less you know but that's what paul's trying to say here is that there's there's certain vessels that are for honor and vessels that are not and and he's saying this to the church that if you will really sanctify your life and purify yourself unto god as a vessel of honor that you're consecrated as holy unto God and you'll live that way, that God will set you apart to really be used of Him in a powerful way. How many of you guys want to be vessels of honor? You know, a lot of people get saved and they're in the outer court, and that's great. But God is wanting us to be deeply consecrated and begin to go into the holy place. And then once we learn the holy place, we begin to go into the holy of holies And God is really consecrating us and He's really anointing us. He's empowering us so that He can use us in a powerful way. Vessels of honor. I always think when I pray about vessels of honor, I think about the lampstand. Because the lampstand was pure gold, it was filled with oil, and it was lit on fire. And God is wanting us to be like that pure gold filled with his oil and that we're walking flames of fire that live holy there's a difference between salvation and a deep consecration please hear me there's some vessels that are just common and some vessels that are vessels of honor but see when people get saved you can just continue to still be kind of carnal and worldly and never really change all that much and By God's grace and incredible mercy, you're still going to get into heaven based on God's grace, you know. But there's a difference between that and really deeply consecrating your life. As a vessel, you see the difference? There's a big difference. You guys know people that are saved, and they're sincere about their salvation, but they're still kind of worldly and carnal, and they're not somebody that God is going to use to do something significant. He may use them for little things here and there. But we want to be a people that's really deeply consecrated, that God's wanting to really do something. He's wanting heaven to invade earth. But God's got to get all that stuff out of us that needs to go. Amen? All right. So let's go ahead and shut down recordings, and we're going to pray for people tonight. A lot of times when I say this, everybody tunes me out. So I want you to not do that right now. I want you to everybody tune back in. Okay, here's what I feel. God is taking us. And He is like immersing and baptizing us in His Holy Spirit right now as a church, deeper and deeper in the glory of God. So when you get prayer tonight, if God does put you out, soak in that glory because God is wanting to take you deeper in His presence. Those of you that's been been coming to this house and been faithful here, God is baptizing you in His Spirit and His fire in a powerful way right now. Okay, so get in on that. All right, if we could... We're going to put on some worship. We're going to pray for people.